Hi friends, welcome to Youth Driven Podcast. I am your host, Becky White, and today we have Diana Gugliotta. She is the Senior Manager of Public Affairs at AAA Northeast, and she is one fierce traffic safety advocate. She has worked at AAA for over 14 years, and today she's going to share a few educational programs that AAA Northeast offers, including the Shifting Gears program, which educates teens about why driving under the influence of marijuana is dangerous. So I'm happy to introduce you to Diana. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. I uh, I love what you're doing here. I love that you're giving youth a voice. AAA has always been a great partner with us for the past couple of years, and we're so happy that you're on board and, and here with us today. So thank oh, you. We're excited. <laughs> so can you just tell me a little bit about your role at AAA Northeast? Yeah, sure. Actually, I have been at AAA Northeast now for 14 years almost. It has gone by very quickly. And I started at AAA as a traffic safety education specialist. So my primary role was really just visiting schools and community organizations you know, teaching everything from pedestrian safety skills to bike safety, even, you know, car seat safety for parents, expensive driving classes for older adults, and then a lot of the team programs that we offer about, you know, how to get your driver's license, how to stay safe, what are the, you know, five big mistakes a lot of team drivers make, and then it eventually led into a little more responsibility, but my heart is really rooted in education. I was an educator before coming to AAA, so this is the work that I love. That's wonderful. 14 years. That is such an accomplishment in any. I know it's like a family, you know, I think you find your, your groove and kind of the work that you feel like you were meant to do, that you're making a difference and you've got a great team to work with. It just kind of feels like a big family there now. So it's great. It's great to be supported wherever you're working. And just funny how life works out. You you never knew you were going to have a certain role and then it just Find yeah. your niche and you've done right. your niche at AAA for sure. So I know it's been a tough year with COVID and I wanted to ask you, what are some of the new programs or projects that AAA is working on right now? Yeah, I mean, we cannot wait to get back into schools and communities, especially to work with young people. But some of the things that we did once COVID hit was we really got all our lesson plans together and made them adaptable for distance learning. But we were able to kind of build out a Google site and get all of our videos and lesson plans available for K to 12 teachers. A lot of it is health-based, but some of it is appropriate for physics classes or language arts classes. So the curriculum is pretty diverse and it's kind of, you know, some of the lessons are even you know, what I would qualify as like a wraparound curriculum where it goes into, you know, different areas. Been doing a lot of education remotely. We are happy to jump into Google Classroom or Zoom and, you know, do education at any grade level. We even have like our little robotic um, Buster the Teaching Bus doing remote programs into like Zooming into preschool classrooms. So it's a lot of fun. But other than that, we've been focusing on two demographics when it comes to driving. It's older adults, because we start seeing crash rates rise at about age 65. And then we pay attention to teenagers. 
You know, we had done a lot of work in previous years around impaired driving, specifically related to marijuana for the teen demographic. But this past year, we really dug into programming for older adults. And one of the issues that we see a lot is, you know, adult children will say, you know, I'm really worried about my mom or my dad or my grandmother or my grandfather driving. They're getting older and I'm worried about them. You know, what can I do to talk to them about giving up their keys or, you know, using public transportation or something like Uber more often. So we developed this whole program for, for kind of guiding that driving retirement process, which has been interesting. So I honestly recommend for a lot of the teen drivers, the best way that they can help out their grandparents once they become, you know, nice, good, safe drivers is, you know, call grandma and grandpa and say, can I take you to the supermarket? Can I take you to go get a haircut? You know, can we go do something fun together to keep them mobile and active and healthy? And I guarantee you those grandparents or whoever would jump at that opportunity too. And they probably give them gas money too. (laughs) Yeah. And like pay for lunch also. Yeah, exactly. You know, the win-win. We have a website. It's aaa.com slash community. On that website, you can click on a link and it, you know, there's a huge list of all the programs we offer. All of our program is free of charge. And just like this little form, they tell us a little bit about, you know, when they want the presentation, where, you know, in person, virtually, whatever. And we accommodate everyone. And then, yeah, we're actually working on some new programming on just drug impaired driving in general, because we see it escalating as more and more of a problem every year. So it's definitely something we're trying to work against and educate people about. So that's wonderful that AAA is in front of it and trying to get the education out there before we are in a crisis mode. Right. Out of all the programs you've done over the 14 years, what is one that you're really, really proud of at AAA? Ooh, that is such a good question. You know, it, it's funny because I love when we have evidence-based programming. So Shifting Gears is a good example of evidence-based programming where I know because of survey data that it's having the effect. And can you tell our audience about what is Shifting Gears for anyone? Yes, sorry, of course. Yeah, no. Shifting Gears is a program, and it was specifically created for high school students. It's most often offered through health classes, but it's a program that addresses marijuana-impaired driving specifically. We have done a lot of research through the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety about marijuana and how it shows up in our driving. And then Brown University locally has also been doing a lot of research around marijuana impairment um, through their School of Public Health. So we actually gave the curriculum to Brown for review and they endorsed the program, which was wonderful. But, you know, the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety's research was focused on two things mainly, you know, how tetrahydrocannabinol affects our driving, but also kind of what happens in a state that legalizes recreational marijuana. Like how does that later impact road safety and public safety? So through the Shifting Gears program, we talk about the results of the research. Our main objective for Shifting Gears is to just make it clear that just like we need designated drivers when it comes to alcohol, we need to adopt that same philosophy for marijuana. So in the program, we're really calling on teens, our new generation of drivers, to change the the attitudes and social norms around driving high. It's a program that I'm really proud of. 
I do love the satisfaction of knowing the Shifting Gears program works and we have data to prove that it works. So you guys have been doing an incredible job getting that out there to all of our high school health classes. And how many presentations have you given in our state so far? Oh my God. I haven't broken it down by just Rhode Island because we're, we are in five states, but we've delivered it to over 40,000 students already. That it, in itself is something to be at, proud of. Well, thank you. Definitely over incredible. Rhode Island high schools. I think the struggle is health teachers are overloaded. There are so many different issues that health teachers have to tackle within their curriculum every year, everything from dating violence to eating disorders. And so there are definitely some health teachers that I think are more focused in around traffic safety and substance abuse and things like that, where they can tie in the curriculum. What I will say is that if people visit, any educators especially are interested in shifting gears, they can go to our website, um, which is aaa.com slash shifting gears, and they can view the lesson plan in the curriculum. And what we've tried to do is break down all the teaching standards, all the educational health standards that they would meet by having us, you know, deliver that program for them so they can check all those boxes because- you know, how do you justify sneaking that one more program into your curriculum every year? It'll help them make their lives a little bit easier too, because right. educators are so stressed out, especially during COVID and all this remote learning and oh my goodness. So we want to, you know, we want to make it easier for educators. Yeah, that's wonderful that you've broken that down that way, just so they don't have to break it down themselves and see how they can fit it in and see if it's appropriate. And I also wanted to mention that it is on our youth-driven website under resources. What states are eligible for the Shifting Gears program out of AAA Northeast? I just want to clarify yeah. that. So Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York. Wonderful. But okay. honestly, our partner, our sister club, AAA Northern New England, they're adopting it as well. So That's New Hampshire, Vermont, you know, all those Northern New England states are going to be rolling it out as well. So we're really excited. That's wonderful. Um, one of the greatest things, Becky, is that Rhode Island State Police have partnered with us recently. So, you know, most, most of our programs nowadays are via Zoom or Google Meet or whatever the teachers are using, but we have a state trooper join this session and many are drug recognition experts as well. So they can speak to the real life situations and you know, the, the work that a drug recognition expert does at the roadside. One of the smoking or vaping THC as opposed to drinking, you know, law enforcement won't know. And that's not the case. And so it's it's helpful just to have state troopers and some municipal police departments join us too, but just to explain what really happens and how they do have this 12-step analysis. And it's pretty easy to tell who's high behind the wheel. Absolutely. I just spoke to a few, few of our youth that youth driven and I asked them the question, you know, why, what is the biggest excuse that you hear from friends or classmates mm -hmm. about driving high? Why do they think they can? And many of them say they feel that they're invincible. They feel they won't get caught if they get pulled over because there's no breathalyzer tests, but realizing right. that there are DREs, drug recognition experts out there that can and will detect if you are under the influence. So Absolutely. And now, I mean, we, we, there are a lot of pilot tests, uh, roadside tests for THC as well. There's a saliva right. test and we're getting really close to having a roadside Very. test. So yeah, it'll, okay. it'll be here before we know it. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Thank so, God. Yeah. I know it's needed. So from presenting your shifting gears program to now thousands of students, 
what are the common reasons teens don't feel that driving high is dangerous? Probably the thing that frustrates me the most that I hear very often is that they think something that they can drive better when they're high. One of the things I hear a lot is that they find it easier to focus while driving and not feel as anxious while driving. But what they're not realizing is that, you know, when you're under the influence of marijuana, you get hyper-focused on usually like one object. So if you can kind of visualize that stoner generalization of somebody who's high staring at a lava lamp for an hour and being like, wow, that's amazing, man. You know, that's um, it makes you hyper-focused on one thing. And we do not want that behind the wheel because think of all the visual information that you have to take in to respond appropriately, right? We have so much data and evidence that absolutely shows that that is not true. THC active in your system more than doubles your risk for a crash. But I do hear that a lot and that they can't get caught by law enforcement. And I'll hear, you know, the vaping versus smoking more often than not of, well, there's no odor if I'm vaping. So it's undetectable. And I don't even think they realize just when you're initially pulled over by law enforcement, before you're taking a standardized field sobriety test, before any of that, just the divided attention tasks that they are doing right there in your vehicle by, you know, asking you questions or asking you, okay, get out your license registration proof of insurance. And while you're doing that, they're going to keep you in conversation talking. That's divided attention. That's very challenging for a person who's high. So oftentimes just in that initial first 60 second interaction, they've got a lot of evidence already. And a DRE's report that they write up on their own observations, knowing the training that they have, that's admissible in court. Yeah. These myths are exactly why the program exists, really. Yeah. And hopefully from experiencing your shifting gears program, it is making a difference and just it's educating the students about this is what's really happening when you're getting pulled over. And right. This isn't our opinion, right? Like we're not, we're not those people that are out there saying, oh, marijuana is evil. It's like, we're not those people realize that there is a place for medicinal marijuana. There are people that have illnesses, that it is a really helpful drug medicinally. It just, our message is it has no place behind the wheel of a vehicle. Absolutely. And that is very important to clarify. You know, if you are going to drive, please do not smoke. (laughs) Right. And the young people that we are reaching, it's all of the youth in your group there, possible that recreational marijuana can be legalized by the time they graduate high school. So this is just going to become more widely used. And we just want them to be smart about it and understand that it's going to show up. It's very in the cognitive processes in their you know reaction time. Yeah. So, I know. Yes. It's just gonna yes. happen. So hopefully we can learn from other states who have had it legalized many years before we have. Right. From the Shifting Gears program, what would you say are some of the biggest takeaways other than the ones you've already said that the Mm -hmm. students really kind of maybe stop and pause and tell you after wow, or through the surveys, this was eye-opening. I didn't know that before that you'd like to share with us. The surveys do definitely show that there's an attitudinal shift. And the one item in that survey that I see the most significant change 
the pre and post program is that they really understand that marijuana is going to slow down the cognitive process and impede their reaction time, that it's, they tend to qualify it as, you know, very dangerous after hearing the content of the program. Anecdotally, you know, from, from participants is they didn't realize that it would change their depth perception. So they'd have a hard time kind of gauging how far away another vehicle is or what will hear narrow in their peripheral vision. So one of the things we see a lot when drivers are high is that they can't stay centered in their lane of travel. They'll drift into somebody else's lane. And they, they you know, pre-program, they don't realize how it changes perception as a hallucinogenic drug. So that's pretty eye-opening for us. And then the other is technology is the answer. When I think back to when I was in high school, I didn't have a cell phone in my purse to call somebody if I was at a party and my friend was drinking or smoking or whatever. I was kind of like stuck in a situation, right? So now they have cell phones. Now they have Uber and Lyft. And so really, like I said, the primary goal is that idea similar to, you know, get a designated driver. What are your ways out of this situation to protect yourself and protect everyone around you? And they get it. They really do get that they have another option and the technology is there to support it. So that's wonderful. That's something at Youth Driven that I've been trying to really drive home is to, when you're in a tough situation, just make an excuse. Right. Anything to not get in that vehicle, because even adults, we are sometimes in that situation. You show up at an acquaintance's house, or maybe you show up at your friend's house and somebody else decides to drive and you have to make a tough decision and it, it can happen at any age, but especially in those teenage years, it's tough because you don't want to look a certain way with your friends. These are your friends that you've probably known your entire life. Simply just any sort of excuse that you can think of. And like you said, your cell phone is a great way to get out of it. Say that your parent is calling. Say that, oh, I I have a curfew. Say that you're not feeling well. Go back in the house and say, oh, I'll catch up with you guys later. Anything. I literally tell them to say that they feel like they're going to throw up and they don't want to throw up in their friend's car. Anything. But it works every single time. Absolutely. No one's going to question you if you're not feeling well. So just make an excuse. That must be wonderful to see all of the reactions from and reading all of the surveys after you give the program too. It is. It really is. In our line of work, that's what gives us life and keeps us going. It really does. To just know that you got to that one kid or, you know, you never know with prevention if you're making a difference, but it's nice to see that on paper in the pre and post test. And you know what, Becky, I think when you can make a difference in a young person, it it means so much. I've shared openly and publicly that I really had a struggle throughout my childhood with my dad using alcohol and struggling with a mental illness and being in situations where I was, you know, very young and I was a passenger in his vehicle and he was driving impaired and I was petrified. And it took so many years for me as an adult to speak to him directly about that and not make an excuse about why I didn't, you know, want my son in a vehicle with him. I think when I finally had an encounter with him, you know, and it was actually on St. Patrick's Day, one day he sort of gave himself permission to have a drink in the spirit of St. Patrick's Day. And I was really upset with him. 
that I called on in my mind um, someone that mo I think a lot of Rhode Islanders know, Tori Lynn Andriozzi, and I told him the story of Tori as a little girl just walking home from the bus, getting hit by an impaired driver right in her neighborhood. And I said to him, you know, Dad, I, I think of you the same way I think of that woman that hit Tori. And he sobbed, like cried like a baby. And, you know, it's kind of scary. I don't know, even as an adult, having that kind of conversation with your parent, when I finally had the guts to do it, it definitely shifted things in a positive direction. So I think that's honestly what's given me a lot of the motivation to, to want to talk and speak out about impaired driving. So if you can learn the lesson young, it's so much better. I mean, he went through many years. He lost his license at one point. And I always say, and I know you say this too, driving is a privilege. It's not a right. If you can't be responsible as a driver, the state's going to take that license from you because you don't have the right to ruin other people's lives. Yeah. I give you so much respect for having that conversation, especially with your dad. I can't imagine how difficult that conversation must have been for you. And thank you for sharing that with us. It's so hard when we have a loved one that is struggling with an addiction and, and you just want to help them and you know what's right for them, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's so hard to have that conversation. So I think you're wonderful for having that conversation with your dad, because that must not have been easy for you. Thank you. You know, don't give me too much credit because it took me way too long to have it back. But you know, honestly, what I think you're doing with with the with the youth that are committed to this and youth driven at a young age, they're probably going to have the power and the strength to have that conversation now when they're still teenagers. Where it took me, I was like in my 30s before I had confidence to do that. So really, the credit goes to you and to that you work with because you're very courageous. But Thank you. you know, of all the, the messaging, the ways that we can raise awareness on the issue, a lot of times we, we talk about the power of storytelling, but it has to be relatable. It can't just be another person up there telling their story. And one of the things that I found um, with young people is explaining kind of that journey that I went through with my father and the fact that he struggled with mental illness in, in a very severe way for years and years of his life. And it's surprising how many young people would kind of open up and say, oh, my uncle goes through this or my older brother goes through this. And I love that they're able to confide that in that it is relatable to them because like I said, as a younger person, I didn't want to talk about family issues, but I realize now, and I think there's a lot more awareness among this generation in general about mental health and how mental health can kind of weave itself into every aspect of life, but certainly in our driving. Absolutely. When you make that connection with youth, particularly that for example, if you show up for a shifting gears program and you're about to present all this information about driving high and they have a thought that, oh, it's not dangerous. What does this Diana know about driving high? Okay. And when you share that personal story about your why and why traffic mm -hmm. safety is so important to you and why you want to share this information with them to make an educated choice, that's when the whole tables turn and they're willing to listen. And I think that's important with teens. I think it's important with anybody. If, yeah. if you're there to teach and to empower and here's the information and you can take what you want from it, that is much better than forcing a topic or belief onto someone saying, 
driving high is bad. You shouldn't do it. It's, it's that right. gentle, here are the things we've learned and I want to share them with you. And that's why I love the Shifting Gears program. And you're 100% right. You need to make that personal connection in order for them to listen and to care. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's funny because we kind of lead with the research in, in that program, but a lot of others. And I think we lead with research because we want to frame it in a way where the young people understand, like, this is actual data. This isn't an opinion. Like you just said, Becky, connect the research to real life. Yeah. They may not smoke weed, but maybe they have a relative that does and they have to get in the car with them or, or a parent or an older sibling. And at least they know the information and can maybe help and educate their family members. So you never know right. who you're affecting. On to other traffic safety issues around teens and driving. I wanted to get your opinion. You know, which traffic safety topics do you feel other than driving under the influence of marijuana that teens really need more education on? There's never enough education in my mind around three specific things. Seatbelt use, speed, and distracted driving. Yep. So impaired, we know. We, we know that's huge, right? And right. We'll never stop talking about that. But when you think of just the physics of a car crash, it's speed and seatbelts that make the biggest difference between life and death, right? Yep. Seatbelts and obviously other occupant protection systems like airbags are going to protect us up to a certain extent. That's the most valuable technology really in a vehicle. Speeds, there's, you know, dangerous speeds, which it's flesh hitting metal. We always say that. And it comes down to physics meeting biology. So if you're a hundred miles an hour on a open roadway and hit a fixed object, your seatbelt's not going to be able to protect you. During COVID, one of the most frustrating things I think for traffic safety advocates was watching the fatality and crash numbers go up. And we're like, how can this be happening? There are so many fewer vehicles on the road. People aren't driving to work like they were before. They're not driving to school like they were before. Why are the crash numbers going up? And I really think it's because stress shows up in driving. And it's just astounding because this wasn't just a Rhode Island problem. This was a national problem. To some extent, once people caught that open road where there were fewer cars, they thought that they could drive faster. And they did drive faster. And one of the other statistics that was really frustrating is the number of people that were ejected in those crashes showing they did not have a seatbelt on. And, you know, that's just what happens with physics and biology if you don't have a seatbelt on. So I don't think we can ever stop talking about seatbelts and speed. And then really it's like the, the distracted driving. And it's so interesting to me how a lot of young people will separate texting from all the other stuff they do on their phone. And they'll literally say, but I don't text and drive. So I think we have to, you know, remind not just young people, but everyone, there is a law that says you cannot hold your cell phone in your hand while you're driving, no matter what it is, it's GPS, I don't care if it's email, whatever it is, they'll just kind of take it so literally. So I think a lot of the messaging, you know, don't text and drive or the text can wait has not served these young people because they're like, I'm just storying and driving. I'm just, you know, napping and driving and they don't see it the same way. Which is so scary to even think about. Absolutely. Um, Someone doing a story and, and driving. When students hear 
designated driver? Do they think about alcohol and marijuana or just alcohol? I think students today still just think about alcohol, unfortunately. That is one of the greatest objectives of the education program that we run. Yeah, when you ask them about marijuana impaired driving, a lot of them don't even see it as impairment. You know, I think over the past few decades, we have made collectively drunk driving socially unacceptable. We still struggle with that. Um, and I know here in Rhode Island, the data will show males. 35 to 55. So we've got to work on that age gap. But mainly, I think, yeah, we've made a huge amount of progress around designated driver. Honestly, I think the political and social agendas around marijuana has really confused the message. That's one of the main reasons. I mean, a lot of young people just, they will argue that marijuana is natural. They'll view it for medicinal benefits. They'll tell me, you know, I'm replacing ADHD medications with marijuana. I'd rather take something natural, not realizing that they're, I mean, it can be laced with God knows what. We've seen fatalities where marijuana is laced with fentanyl. You know, they're kind of almost in their mind, all these social and political agendas have really brainwashed this generation into thinking, oh, it's this just like great, it's, I'll rub it on my body, I'll, I'll put it in edibles, I'll consume it in any form or fashion, and it's not something bad, it's not risky. And right. like I said, you know, when it is prescribed medicinally and it's purchased through a dispensary and, you know, we know more about what they're ingesting, that's a different story, right? But it's still and older, mind you. Right. Uh, we keep trying to drive that message home of anything you put in your body that makes you feel different is going to show up when you're driving. And yeah, I definitely think we're not there yet in terms of marijuana being high as being impaired driving. And I almost think it's worth with worse in older generations than it is in the younger generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. How do you think we can start to change that persona? They held focus groups with marijuana users and non-users, but they really spent a lot of time with the marijuana users to say, you know, how, how do you feel about getting behind the wheel high? How long do you wait between ingesting and getting behind the wheel? I mean, they really asked a lot of questions and then they had marijuana users participate in their education campaign. Hasn't been effective with the people that are already using marijuana or have used it for many years. So we need to, you know, we need to really work on that. And the only thing they're finding that really deters the users is the threat of being caught. It's not as much be a good safe driver messaging, which is kind of upsetting to be honest, but I think yeah. they trust themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, what I'm hearing too from a lot of users is, well, it feels really different when you're drunk, you, you're completely out of control. When you're high, it's a totally different, you just feel relaxed and focused. So they don't believe, it takes a lot more for them to believe that it's going to show up in their driving. Right. Do you feel that maybe laws need to get stricter and fines? Do you think that will help along the way? Yes. You know, I think first and foremost, it's outrageous that in a densely populated state like Rhode Island, we don't require behind the wheel lessons with the certified driving school for young drivers. And, you know, I understand there's a hesitance. People don't want to put in another financial burden 
on parents. I understand the challenges of our economy, especially in the past year. But the only requirement beside classroom education is that 50 hours of practice with an adult 21 or older, and then that pretty easy road test, let's be honest. Right. I think a lot of people are, are great learners in the classroom and test really well. That does not mean they can operate a vehicle safely. There's literally no correlation that we've even found in research between a really good student that's going to test well and driver ed and a really good driver. So if we're looking at the facts here, we're setting them up at, at great risk just to begin with here in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And I always say, could you start a brand new job and work one week and be a pro? Absolutely not. Also, let's be honest, are all the parents making sure that their kids have 50 hours or more before they're signing that little paper, which is just an honor system? Right. It really bothers me. But other thing that I think is important legislatively is sobriety checkpoints are not legal here in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Think of the difference, especially in hearing the research on the only thing that's going to deter someone who's a marijuana user from driving high is fear of law enforcement. Ugh. You know, I think it would make a huge difference. We need to do more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I mean, nobody wants to see racial profiling, you know, of course. absolutely not. But there are policies that have been effective where, you know, there's like a random stop of every 10th car. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's requirements in the law for data collection to show that drivers aren't being stopped in a disproportionate way in terms of race or gender or ethnicity. And, you know, we do have to take that stuff seriously. So, you know, Rhode Island State Police has done a great job forming a unit just to deal with impaired driving, but we have to do so much more. Yeah, we just want to make sure everybody gets home safe. That's truly everybody at AAA and everybody here at Youth Driven. I can't thank you enough for being here today. And is there anything else you want to mention about AAA or anything I didn't ask? We definitely encourage anyone to go to that website, AAA.com slash community. Check out all the programs. It's a lot of different programs for a lot of different age groups too. Like I said, all free of charge. We really do honestly go anywhere and speak to groups all over the place, virtually or in person. And this is the work that we love. This is what keeps us going and charged. I think as professionals is, you know, getting to hear other people's challenges and opinions too, and really look at specific schools and school communities and cities and towns and kind of working with them to um, analyze what the issues are with traffic safety and we just want to help. So thank you. Yeah. And you sure are helping Diana. So keep it up, keep on doing all that you do and you're making this world a safer place and at least our roads a safer place for everybody. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Becky. Talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening, and you can find all of the websites we discussed within the description of this episode. You can also find them on our website at www.youthdriven.org. Until next time, take care of each other on the road and continue to lead by example.